My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Amen. Many years ago, many, many, many years ago now, I uh, spent a lot of time working uh, at a mega church. And uh, I was, I was uh, in my, I, was, I don't know, I, I first got there when I had just turned 18. Um, and so I had come from what I thought was a really big church, which had like multiple service and about a thousand people. But I stepped into this new world, this massive sanctuary with about five and a half thousand seats and, and seeing them filled every Sunday, they, it, it was quite a sight to see. And so I started working there while I was going to a school at the college that they had there attached to the, to the church. And every year we had this major conference and we would fly in uh, from America and Australia you know, these, these ministers and pastors of, of churches, and they would come and they would preach over the course of a week. And it was a big, it, imagine the Peach Festival, but more revolving around, you know, preaching and teaching. Uh, and like afternoon workshops and, and stuff like that for, for people. Plus dinner and all that other, other things we do for fellowship. And I remember that it was, it was at the, the World Trade Center, not New York, it was overseas. But it was called the World Trade Center. And there was a main entrance where everybody drove in and parked. And then there was a back entrance. And the back entrance is where everybody got to drive in who wasn't just a regular person attending. It was for the guest speakers and it was for the pastor and his wife. Uh, give them a little entrance so they could actually go in and then go to you know, the little lounge that they had set up before the service. And then they, what they had in front of the, the platform, they had multiple sections. And all of those sections were all kind of roped off from all of the other sections. And so to sit in these special sections, you had to be essentially sort of like a VIP, right? And so if you were someone that was kind of known or like a wealthy businessman or a businesswoman in the church and the church was big enough that they had like, you know, TV, TV actors and, and musicians and stuff like that, they could get seats in those really nice, in those nice areas. But just your regular run-of-the-mill person off the street who wanted to attend couldn't. And that even exists in many churches today. There's some churches that operate where if they see a celebrity coming to attend, they immediately whisk them away into the green room. And then they sit them in special seats away from everybody else so no one will bother them while we worship. And that's a problem, brothers and sisters, specifically because of what we just heard read from the epistle according to St. James. Because what it does is it tries to forego... One of, the main, <laughs> one of the main reasons why we gather, right? We do gather to hear, like I've been preaching about. We gather together to hear the preaching of the word of God. We gather together around the table of the Lord and his altar to feast on his body and to drink his blood. And we talked about that over the past few weeks, how those two things go together and how we should always keep those two together in our worship all the time. But we are also formed in the Christian life by our relationships with one another our relationships with one another. And when we do that, we short circuit those relationships because what we've started to do is say just because something this person does elevates them above everybody else 
and they can't mix with everybody else because they're more important. And I understand there might be practical issues, right? Like if, if you're trying to get to where you need to go and 40 million people are, 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 not 40 million, but a bunch of people are stopping you to say hello. But you know what I would say to that? Bear with it, right? <laughs> Bear with it. And the epistle of St. James has a lot to say about partiality and then also in judgment. So we're going to talk about today, partiality and judgment. The epistle of St. James has an interesting history within Christianity. Martin Luther famously declared the epistle of James an epistle of straw, right? And he did this because it says that we're justified by faith and by works, which is a bit of a problem when one's entirely, entire theology revolves around the idea that one is justified by faith alone. So this should make us ask, well, what does James mean by justified by faith and by works? What does he mean by faith? What does he mean by works? And those are really great questions, brothers and sisters, but we're not going to deal with any of those today. <laughs> we're not going to be covering those uh, this morning. And even though Luther still had issues with the book of James, he still considered it canonical and part of the New Testament. But I hope that as you listened to it read this morning, as Diane read, I hope you picked up something. There's a tone that St. James has when you read it. There's like a familiarity to what he's writing. Sort of like a song lyric they hear, you hear a song there, and you're like, where have I heard that before? Or like you're watching a movie and you see an actor and you're like, who is that guy? I've seen him in something. We, Shantae and I were watching a movie last night. That happened. There, a guy showed up and she's like, who is that guy? And she looked it up on IMDb. She's like, that's who I thought he was. He was in that other movie. Thank God for IMDb, right, to help us settle those, uh, those issues. But the words of St. James here sound familiar. Where have I heard this before? Because... The answer to this question is the words of Jesus. To read the epistle according to St. James is like reading an extended teaching of Jesus. And the beginning of the chapter deals with partiality and showing favoritism and how we're not supposed to do that regardless of what they look like. And this should make us think of 1 Samuel chapter 16. And we should know the story from Sunday school when Samuel is searching for a new king because Saul has sinned and the kingdom is going to be taken away. Daniel goes to the house, or Daniel, Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, right? And he says to Jesse, God is going to anoint one of your sons. I'm going to anoint one of your sons in the name of God as the new king. And Jesse's like, great. And he, they have a feast and they bring all of his sons. And Samuel goes before the first one and he says, wow, this guy's tall, he's in shape, he's got broad shoulders, he's good looking, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And God says, nope, not him. So Samuel goes like this, and he says, all right, this guy, he's not quite as good looking and in shape as this other one, but he's still, you know, got good shoulders, he looks strong, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And God says, nope. So then Samuel goes to the next one. Same thing, and the next one, and the next one, and the next one. You thought I was going to do that for all seven. Well, I wasn't. And then finally Samuel says, do you have any more sons? And Jesse says, well, yeah, I've got David, but he's like out in the field looking after the sheep, like, which is an important job, but he's out doing some work. So Samuel's like, we're not going to have the feast until David gets here. So they wait, because when you're a cranky old prophet, you can make people do stuff like that. And so David comes, right? And David and God says, that's the one. That's the one. Don't judge by what you see on the outside. 
I judge by what I see on the inside, God says to Samuel. And Samuel anoints David as king right there on the spot. Does David immediately become king? No, he goes back out into the field and back to the sheep. But that sets the trajectory for the rest of his life. And in Mark 9, 35, Jesus called the 12 and said to them, if any of you would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And so Jesus' words and the story that in 1 Samuel and James' words here in the epistle indicate a sort of divine inversion in that those who we think are worthy of special treatment in the church aren't worthy of special treatment in the church. And those who we think aren't worthy of special treatment in the church actually are worthy of special treatment in the church. And the idea that there was no fundamental difference between the person sitting to your left and right in the early church was revolutionary at the time. Because even though we have you know, systems of class in our country, right, it's nothing like it was in the ancient world. It was only in the Christian church where you would have a woman and a slave and a wealthy merchant all sitting next to each other in the same row or at the same table because they were all equal in the sight of God. It was only in the church where this happened. You would not see that in the ancient world where each person's individual worth was the same. And that's where this idea that we have in our modern era comes from. That didn't exist before Christianity. This was revolutionary. And as such, being then deferential to a wealthy person and ignoring the poor person according to this epistle, shows a lack of judgment and is in fact evil. So then we ask, well, why does doing that then indicate a pattern of judging with evil thoughts? So St. James lays out a strong case here and he points out that the rich tend to use their money and possessions as a means of power and a means of oppression. And we don't like to hear this because we've imbibed very deeply of American capitalism for so long, we can become blind to the economic side effects of that type of market. Now, I'm not saying then that capitalism is bad and we should become social. No, that's not what I'm saying, right? Socialism is pretty much bad. But there's, what, what animates socialism is good. The desire for everybody to have something, to have enough, to have the same, right? And the desire for capitalism is good, right? Let's get some competition and that will help all of us prosper, right? But if you go to the extreme on both sides, it takes us into very bad places. But we become blind to some of the economic side effects of that type of market, especially here in the United States. Money can be used to acquire power and position. And when people, especially people who are sinners, are able to do that, then they often show a deliberate lack of compassion. And because our nature has been corrupted by sin and death, it makes it even more difficult in resisting the impulse to sin thus further enslaving us to our passions. And when you have the resources, if you have enough money, if you have enough privilege, and you have enough power, then you can indulge in the things that you shouldn't. And that's how you wind up with the Jeffrey Epsteins of the world. Multiple million, millions of dollars that guy had in the bank account. And all of that money and all of that power what good was it when he used it to further his own deep and dark and sinful desires and to help other people exercise that too? 
And so that's why we don't show deference to somebody who looks rich over the person who looks poor. Particularly, that's what he's saying here in, in, in the Bible. And I know places, right, I know churches, right, that if, 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 I don't know, Elon Musk, right, walked into the narthex of our church, and somebody here knew who Elon Musk was, and it's like, oh my gosh, Elon Musk, let me take you over here, away from everybody else. Here's our VIP section, and they took him right up there, and they sat him up there, and then maybe they, can I get you anything? Can I get you a cup of coffee? Do you need something to snack on? Do you need to go to the bathroom? I can show you where it is. Can you tell me more about the rocket that you're building? That would be fantastic. How are you going to get to Mars, right? And then somebody walked in off the streets, ripped jeans, sandals, maybe didn't smell too good, and just wanted to come and worship. We wouldn't take him up into the special VIP section in the balcony, which we don't have, by the way. I'm just using it as an example. Some of you are like, how can I get up there? Well, we have a big conference, and we invite, and then, no. Right? But somebody like that came in, we wouldn't take them to the special VIP section where Elon Musk is sitting and give them coffee. Do you like a cappuccino? Do you want soy milk or oat milk? 2% whole? 1%? I don't know if there's a 1%, but right, we wouldn't do that for them. We would say, oh, that person smells. Sit them over there away from everybody else. That's offensive to me. Right? That's the type of partiality that's evil. And St. James says, listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? And we have to understand something really important here with what underlies what St. James is saying. And I, I believe that what underlies all of this is the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. St. Paul says that Jesus, for our sake, even though he was rich, became poor so that we could become rich. And I preached on this not too long ago, actually. This is not a statement of financial blessing, right? He's not saying Jesus became materially poor so you could have enough money in your bank account. It's a statement about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for us, and what we are called to inherit. When St. Paul says that Jesus became poor for our sake, he's referencing the incarnation, the eternal word and son of the Father who took on human nature. Right, so in that sense, he has become poor, not because he lacks his divine nature, but by the humbling act of taking on the limitations of human flesh. And to top it off, Jesus actually was poor because of what his parents did. And he even says it in the Gospels. The birds have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So if our Lord Jesus, for, for our sake, became poor who only manifested his divine glory visibly on the mountain of transfiguration only one time and only to three people, then, then we need to live in the same way. Because it is in doing this that we love our neighbor as ourselves. So now that we've talked about partiality, let's talk about judgment. So those who have done this have exercised judgment, but not the right judgment that Jesus tells us to use. So we have to remember that the two greatest commandments affirmed by Jesus are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. When we do that, we are violating the law. When we, sorry, when we don't do that, we are violating the law. And what are other violations of the law? Well, murder, adultery, etc. Now, some take St. James's words here to mean that all sin is the same, right? 
as all sin is essentially breaking the same law. So all sins are the same. And that's not what he means. There's, there's clearly a difference between murder and theft. Or between adultery and being a false witness. And these different laws in the Torah have different penalties attached to them. Something we see in our own day, in our own time as well, right? So what St. James is getting at, though, is that if you keep one part of the law and you break another part of the law, you're still a lawbreaker, right? So it doesn't matter if you honored your parents. It doesn't matter if you didn't wor- that you didn't worship false gods. It doesn't matter that, you, um, that you, you didn't covet your neighbor's wife. It doesn't, it doesn't matter because if you've committed adultery, then you've sinned. And if you've sinned, you've broken the law. So if you've kept all of those other ones and you didn't keep this one, you're still a lawbreaker. You're still a lawbreaker. So the kind of preferential judgment that they're showing is violating this command of Christ, right? Because Christ summarizes the law in the two commandments in loving our neighbor and loving God, right? And though it might not seem like a heavy violation, like idolatry or murder, it's still a violation. And then we see the type of judgment that we meet out is indicative of the judgment we will receive. Mercy triumphs over judgment. But if you judge evilly and you judge wrongly and without mercy, then the judgment you yourself will receive will be without mercy. In the Lord's Prayer, we ask, right, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Or forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Trespasses is better. Just putting that out there. (laughs) Jesus also tells the parable of the man who owed the king an insane amount of money. All right, so you remember this parable, right? Where where there's a, a ruler, right? And he calls before him a man who owes him a huge sum of money. Something he will never, ever, 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 ever be able to repay. And the man cries and he casts himself on the ground. He says, please just give me more time and I will pay you. Have mercy on me. I will pay you everything that you owe. And the ruler says, and the ruler does something amazing, right? He doesn't just say, okay, I'll give you an extra 10 years on top of your loan without interest. No, he forgives him. He forgives him the entire amount. All that debt, he's like, it's gone. And so that same man whose debt is forgiven in the parable He's like, hooray. And then he walks down the street and he looks for somebody who owes him money. And you might think to yourself, oh, wow, maybe he'll show this guy mercy. But he doesn't, right? He finds the guy who owes him a small amount of money. And he says, pay me what you owe me. And the guy does the same thing. He falls on the ground. Please, please give me a little bit more time. I'll pay you back everything. Just please give me a little bit more time. And the guy says, no. And throws him into prison until he can repay him. The guy who has shown mercy does not show mercy himself. And the ruler hears about this, and he's angry. Because, right? So he calls the guy who he had forgiven of the debt, brings him back, and says, all of that debt that I've repaid, that's back on you now. Now I'm throwing you into prison because of what you've done. Right? So the mercy that we show when we judge is the same mercy that we receive when we ourselves are judged. That's a harsh one. And so we really love what Jesus says in the Gospels. Judge not 
lest ye be judged. And we take that to mean if a public figure, a minister or something that falls in sin and has to take a break from the church, you know, we say, well, don't judge him. You don't know what, you don't know the pressures of being in ministry is like. And that's actually kind of true. A lot of people don't know what the pressure of ministry can be like sometimes. Just as like how a minister, a person who's a minister might not understand the pressures of somebody who's a laborer or someone who's a lawyer or someone who's a homemaker. Each profession carries with it its own difficulties. But when we say judge not, that doesn't mean that the person skates free from all consequences. But we have to be careful, right? Because Jesus then later says, judge with righteous judgment. And we have to be careful that that judgment is not punitive, but restorative. And this is where works and faith come together. When we see the poor and the suffering in our midst, and we, under the pretense of love, don't feed them or clothe them, then the faith that we profess is devoid of anything. It's devoid of meaning. And it actually shows our lack of faith because our faithfulness is shown only to be empty. And so the story, this example of partiality, the... the, the in the lectionary, what goes with this, this passage here from James chapter 2 is a section from Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 37. And that's the story of Jesus healing the Syrophoenician woman's demon-possessed daughter. And if you came to our Gospel of Mark classes on Wednesday night, you would have been able to, to hear us talk about that at length a couple of weeks ago. There's a little plug. But that reading today is really important. The woman comes to Jesus and asks him to heal the daughter. We find out that Jesus is in, the, is in a Gentile area. He's not in the land of Israel anymore. He's gone outside. And a woman comes to him and says, Please, my daughter is afflicted by an evil spirit. Please heal her. And Jesus says, I'm, so, like, you know, I'm called to the lost sheep, lost sheep of the house of Israel. So I can't take the food for the children and give it to the dogs. And so she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table. And so that text, people, don't even get me started on this, right? But people will take this text and say, Jesus was, I've, I'm not lying, I've heard ministers say this, that Jesus was a racist and this woman spoke truth to his power and changed his mind and helped Jesus not become racist. That's not what this is talking about, right? What's happening here? Well, there's a lot of things. Even if Jesus was saying that the dogs, like calling her a dog, and she says the dogs eat what fall, the crumbs that fall on the table, the dogs are a part of the household. Some people take it a little too far and they call their dogs their kids, and I understand that because we love our animals and we love our pets, right? But if you have a pet, a beloved pet, it is part of your household, right? And so that means the food that we eat we then give to our animals and the pets that we love, right? We love them because we, if we have pets, hopefully we love them and we want them to be provided for. We want them to eat so they can be healthy and have a good life with us, right? They're part of our household. And what's going on here is Jesus is not showing preferential treatment to one people over another. He had a very specific calling in mind, but what this woman does is by her faith demonstrates that even though she's a Gentile, she is part of the household of God. 
And St. Paul makes this point in Galatians, right? Where he talks about those who are true Israel are those who have faith in Jesus Christ, right? According to the promises given to Abraham. So, so, so her, through her faith, she is showing that she herself is part of the household of God that Jesus is called to minister to and to heal. And Jesus says, your daughter is healed. She becomes a member by faith. She becomes a member by faith. And so, brothers and sisters, we need to be sure, right, that the judgment that we use, right, because there's no part of our life where we're going to get away from having to exercise our judgment in some way, shape, or form, right? We know that. It could be something as dumb as, do I really, do I want tacos, or do I want, or do I want pizza, or do I want steak? The answer is yes, right? We, we have to, do I want Rocky Road, or chocolate chip cookie dough, or moose tracks, or uh, Oregon strawberry? It, yes. We have to use our judgment every day in little things like that. What shirt am I going to wear today? What tie am I going to wear on Sunday? So choosing one excludes the others. But that act of exclusion isn't a bad thing. So that, that judgment that we show every day is also exercised out in other things too. Should I watch this movie? Everybody else is watching it. I don't know. They might have some stuff in there that maybe I shouldn't see, even though I'm an adult and I'm all grown up and I can make my own decisions. Should I watch that? Yes or no, right? We have to make that type of judgment. Should I let my kid go to this person's house? They seem kind of squirrely. I don't know. There's something about them. Maybe I don't want them to go play with their kids. You have to make that judgment. And making those judgment calls that we have to make every day doesn't mean that we hate the things that we exclude. And then sometimes we may have to judge situations where we might have to remove ourselves from very dangerous or, or very volatile or very sensitive family relationships. Sometimes members of our family or even our friends might say and do things that are, are, that are truly sinful and evil. We may have to say, you may have to make a judgment and say, I have to remove myself from the situation because it might be tempting me to do something bad or it's going to further entrap me in systems and cycles that is going to, to be a drain on me and is going to bring me to despair. We have to make those judgments all the time. But when we make those judgments, we have to understand, right, that we don't make those judgments out of anger or out of fear. We make those judgments according to what we think is going to be best for us, aided by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We prayerfully ask for guidance. So we have to keep that in mind. And then that plays itself out then in the church. How do we judge our relationships with people inside the church. And because we are all, because we're all members of a family, that's what we are. We're a family. The church is God's family. That's what we are. And the person sitting to your left and right and in front and in back and up at the top and down here, wherever we are, and some of them are your actual, your actual family members, but the person sitting next to you, not just to your left or right, but all around, we are all closer as a family than we are to our own blood relatives in Christ. 
And that means when we interact with members of our family, it's not always going to be good. Unless you have a perfect family and a perfect relationship and you've never gotten into a fight with your brother or your mother or your sister or your father or your grandma or your (laughs) great-grandma. If our own familiar relationships can be stressful, that means then that our church relationships at church are sometimes going to be the same thing. Here's the difference. As the church, we are all covenant together to grow in faith and in knowledge and in love of our Lord Jesus Christ and of one another. So we are learning then to take our anger, our envy, our jealousy, all of those things and lay it aside as we seek to serve each other, the one sitting next to you. And so that's how we should treat everyone, not only that's sitting here, but anyone who comes in the doors to visit, to see each person as God sees them, as valuable, as precious, and someone whom Christ died to redeem, somebody who Christ died to save. And then through that attitude, we ourselves are showing our faith through our works. And so to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting and is all holy good and life-creating spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you have a few minutes, I'd ask you to go to gofundme.com slash Zion's Stone Church Repair Fund. We have some significant repair work that we need to do on our bell tower, as well as some repair work due to a recent lightning strike. Anything you'd be able to help us out with, we would greatly appreciate it. If you'd like to get a hold of me or you have any questions about what you heard, feel free to reach out at our Facebook page, Zionstone UCC, or you can check us out on our website, ZionstoneUCC.com. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.